This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by SearchWP. Find SearchWP at searchwp.com. Let's talk about the power of their metrics add-on for a moment. Since I redesigned the Matt Report website, I put search front and center on my homepage. Why? Search WP metrics. Metrics give me the inside data to what visitors on my site are looking for. I love the graphs and the actionable advice that it provides me. I can make informed decisions to create new content or optimize existing content that my audience is searching for. Remember when Google gave you all of that search data? Yeah, it was great back then, way back then when they gave it to us, they don't give it to us anymore. Put on-site search front and center for your visitors. Get that data back. Get SearchWP at searchwp.com along with their metrics add-on. That's searchwp.com. Thanks for supporting the show. Paid Memberships Pro is back at it again. Find PMP at paidmembershipspro.com. It's the most complete WordPress membership plugin in the business. Don't take my word for it. Go to paidmembershipspro.com and look at the customer showcase right on the homepage. Hey, here's an idea. Do you want to start a business in 2021? Grab WordPress, that's free. Install Paid Memberships Pro, that's free. Use three of their free amazing add-ons like MailChimp, which is also free to build that email list. WooCommerce, also free to sell a digital good or a service. And then Zapier, also free to pipe your automations around the web. It's amazing. It's paidmembershipspro.com. Get it? at paidmembershipspro.com. Paidmembershipspro.com. Thanks for supporting the show. Welcome back. We're going to try something new today. It's a first ever for the best of Matt Report. And what I'm looking at are the best shows of 2021, best episodes of 2021 of the Matt Report. And I'm doing this through a mix of, well, just two pieces of this formula. The best chart toppers of the uh of the series thus far in 2021 so which episodes have got the most listens and a sense of the ones that i felt like were telling the best stories the ones that were coming through and uh talking about their their business their resiliency the goods the bads of of running a business and that's how we're going to kick it off today it's going to be a nice mix of interviews if you haven't listened to any of these episodes uh, maybe you've skipped around here and there. That's okay. I won't hold you to it. All of these episodes will be linked in the show notes. So go ahead and check those out when you're ready to get started. You're listening to The Matt Report. It's the home for the resilient business builder here at MattReport.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the email list, MattReport.com slash subscribe. Okay. We're going to get into our first segment, our first clip. And this one comes from Simon Bruce, the creator of Hecto.io. He's a no-code a developer building out a no-code platform. It's a solution geared at newsletter creators in order to monetize their newsletters. And throughout our conversation, which was, again, a fantastic conversation, that's why it ended up here in the Best of Matt Report, one of the things that he brought up, and it, it strikes an oh-so-common chord with me, is he was able to build a lot of different products and solutions through the power of no-code. And it was, not only did it allow his creativity come to, to come to life, it allowed him to find new opportunities here. And one of the most interesting parts was how he was actually building something that was very useful to his his brother, not just his brother, but other people who are using it and still use the site today to find events for kids during during COVID lockdown. And I just love how he, he sort of made this pivot to Hecto.io. So you'll hear that too. But also, I really wanted to dig deep to where he found 
the the passion like what really sparked his interest in building not just hecto.io but like what got him into this space in general tech the web creativity problem solving product creation and you might resonate with his answer that's yeah that's this good that's a good question so for me literally so my my, my dad used to bring back computers, old computers from his office, essentially. And I remember that he brought back a computer and it had like an actual floppy disk. Like the floppy yeah. disks that we call floppy disks are actually hard, right? This right. was an actual, like it was floppy. Okay, so like we're close in the same age. <laughs> this is the kind of thing he was bringing back. Yeah, I'm 30, yeah. I'm 34, 35 okay. soon. So yeah, so he was bringing back these kind of bits of technology. And for me, it was absolutely fascinating. So like I could go through, like, I remember when it was MS, MS-DOS, uh, mm-hmm. 3.1 came on. Me and my brother used to play the little, like there's like a game called uh, Free Ski or Ski Free or something like that. There was all sorts of things coming through. My dad always used to feed us with this new technology. So throughout my childhood, I always kind of, always used to tinker about with computers and wanting to know how things worked. And then I studied engineering at university and it's just the kind of the way that my mind works anyway. So yeah, essentially with my dad bringing this kind of new technology and the way that my brain works in terms of breaking things apart, how does it work? I've always felt drawn to this space anyway. And going back to the no code space, this is such an exciting period because the the barriers for exploring this further your example was somebody doing an oil change on a uh, bulletin board but it's the same thing again of how cool would it be if you could right but now we've got the tools to think like really far ahead so yeah it's an exciting space and yeah just just through my dad through the engineering course that's the way that this has all come together for me yeah i remember my dad had a had a laptop that had a printer built into it. <laughs> it was it was the funniest. I mean, go. looking back on it, it was hilarious. <laughs> a single sheet of paper underneath the, the keyboard. Computer. You have all these ideas. COVID hits. You see this idea that you can solve with your brother, but then you eventually come upon Hecto. Tell me, give us that oh, moment like. of that crossing over that bridge. What? How did you get to the point of ending that parenting app and then moving over to the newsletter? So the, the original project was uh, rainydaykids.co. Definitely go check it out. So essentially what I wanted to build there was was directory where you could kind of filter through all the different types of activities that you could do with kids. If it was a free Spanish course that Rosetta Stone is doing, there's there's a link to that, or you can search and find that. If there was something to do with painting stones for younger kids, or if there's help with homework for older kids, I just wanted to build something that was a directory to help everybody who had kids and was kind of struggling with what to do with them on day 60 or day 90 of this kind of lockdown. (laughs) Day 300. (laughs) So in building that, it got to the point where I was definitely adding, you know, things and items to to the website. And I I felt like speaking to my brother for sure, he didn't really have time to go just, you know, surfing on the net to go see what, what type of things he could do with his kids. If anything, it would be more easy. It would be easier if he had a newsletter or an email that just said, "Hey, you've got kids who are this age. These are the latest activities that you could do," and it would serve him and his kind of demographic a lot more because he just wouldn't have to do the searching and, and and spending the time. So I set up a like a, a place where people can enter their email addresses and they can sign up for this newsletter. And as I was doing that, I felt like there was an opportunity actually to monetize the, the newsletter. Right, you got this cohort of, of 
parents they've got kids you know that for sure and they they're going to spend they're going to spend money so if there's space in the newsletter then by all means it would be a great opportunity to kind of give that out as ad, ad space so after that i started to think hang on so is there an opportunity a bigger opportunity here because if i'm trying to do this and there's nothing out there that i can see that helps me to kind of connect myself with with businesses or brands or anything like that is anybody else having this issue as well when i looked there, there's there's multiple newsletters in the same space how do i monetize a newsletter what how many subscribers do i need before i can monetize what should the price be all those kind of things were really starting to crop up when when i was kind of doing my research and it felt like the kind of crossover was was kind of felt very organic so i decided to spin up uh, hecto as a really really kind of small version 1.0 it was basic basic landing page the principle was there you, you had a couple of newsletters not that not that many signed up and i launched it on on product hunt i think it was july or august in 2020 and to be honest i got, I got you know decent amount of votes and people were just constantly saying look it's a great idea and that for me was more of the, the reason i did that was one to kind of get get it out there and two to get the validation but people interested in doing something like this or signing up to something like this and resoundingly it's it's it was yes so off the back of that i felt i'm doing this on the side of a full-time job so the likelihood of me maintaining two two websites at the same time is it's not going to happen so there had to be a choice that, that was made so the decision was to kind of follow up with hecto and i've been just been doing that ever since you're a stronger man than I am because I would have tried to do both. <laughs> I would have kept going. I'm looking at rainydaykids.co right now yeah. and your click-through rates or, or on-time measurements must be pretty high because I'm just like clicking through. I'm like, ooh, Disney kids, man. And then it's like, ooh, rainbow bread. Ex exactly. Yeah, exactly <laughs> I'm just like yeah. going through this. I'm like, wow, yeah. like oh, planting little seeds. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, yeah there's, there's still traffic going to that website. People still checking it out. But yeah, the, the click-through is you know, people going to see things and then click through. Yeah. yeah. Next up is Amber Hines from Road Warrior Creative. And again, I I'm going to have to like tone myself down from saying this for every segment here, but it's a fantastic episode. You should definitely listen to it. It's why she's here. Uh, but we talked about what a B Corp was, uh, a certified B Corporation, which I didn't really know anything about uh, going largely going into this. I mean, I've heard about it before, but I had no idea what it was. I thought it was just like this other tax benefit thing. But very interesting to learn more about what a B Corporation is and, well, you're about to hear what that definition is and why she picked it for her company. So a certified B Corporation is a corporation that is a for-profit company, but that has gone through a certification process and a review process of their policies to ensure that they are striving to do more than just benefit their shareholders with their business. There's a couple of different components that are looked at, but the briefest is trying to have either positive environmental or community aspects or having and or being good with how they employ good employment practices for their workers. And we, from the very beginning, I've always just naturally been driven to wanting to make a difference in the world. And when we 
when we took my freelance business and turned it into Roadwear Creative, we spent a bunch of time, I, my husband and I, who's my business partner, Chris, we spent a bunch of time talking through what are our values and what kind of business do we want to be? How do we want to treat our clients? How do we want to treat our employees? Do we Are we willing to outsource work to someone in the Philippines for like pennies on the dollar to what we would pay to someone in the United States? Those A lot of those sorts of things, what kind of schedule do we want to ask people to keep? Do we want to be remote or in person? And so we've always had this strong values base that we had started. We have an open source employee handbook on our GitHub. And as I mentioned earlier, there are a few businesses that we've really followed that we've been super impressed with their business model. And at the end of 2019, we decided that we wanted to really try and put our money where our mouth is, I guess, when it comes to we're a values-based business. And there is a free assessment that anyone can do, the the B impact assessment. And if you get over a certain score, then you can say, okay, I'm interested in pursuing certification, at which point they have an internal auditor. It takes several months. They review everything you've submitted. They ask you for extra clarifications. You go through an interview. You have to submit documentation to prove certain things. And then they give you a score. And... And that's how you become a certified B Corporation. Also, if you are, you have to amend your bylaws. So what that means is different in different states because different states have different requirements. So we were able to stay in LLC, but we did have to amend our operational agreement to specifically say that it's not just for the benefit of myself and my husband. So bcorporation.net has a ton of info on it about what the process is. You can see there's a directory of all the different companies and you may notice it because it's it's a variety and there's big companies like Ben and Jerry's or in Fort Collins where we used to live in Colorado, New Belgium Brewing is one and they're all employee owned now. So there's a lot of things there about just trying to be a better business person. Next up is a man who needs no introduction. It's Matt Mullenweg, co-creator of WordPress, founder of Automatic, the company behind WordPress.com, many other things, which we talked about in that episode. Uh, And most notably, WooCommerce. And, well, I don't want to spoil the segment. If you didn't listen to that episode, what his thoughts are on where WooCommerce is in the landscape of e-commerce, I kind of knew what his answer was going to be when I asked him, and I And I think thinking back to that interview, I purposely asked it because I felt like there's many people out there that think WooCommerce is just, well, it's there, it's it's mature, it's settled, it's in its place. You know, I see this all the time with people looking at Shopify and headless uh, e-commerce solutions and how, you know, they've they've quote unquote dominated the market, you know, and WooCommerce has kind of just lost its, its opportunity with a question mark. I'm Ron Burgundy. Anyway, here's what Matt Mullenweg thinks about where WooCommerce is in the year 2021. It's day one with WooCommerce. When you look at the potential there, I often say that WooCommerce is where WordPress was in 2008. I would say that's for software maturity in terms of like where sort of percent of the market that it's captured. It's where WordPress was in like 2003. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when it was like B2 plus some hacks. There's just so much there. And probably a good place to mention that Automatic is hiring for 30 or 40 open roles. So whatever, if you're a copywriter, if you're a support person, if you're a salesperson, like we are hiring as fast as possible. And, and a lot of those new hires are going into the WooCommerce side of things. So if 
if you're interested in that, it is, it's the largest rocket ship I've ever been a part of. And if we do it right, it is not just bigger than all the rest of Automatic's businesses combined, but probably maybe like a two to 10x bigger. That's tremendous. One of the things, speaking of products I wish you put more money into, <laughs> things like Video Press was a phenomenal product, but it's all integrated into Jetpack now. With this rise in, of video and, and all this stuff, is that just going to be a long-term bet or is, do you not see like that chunk of Jetpack or the business being something that's uh, very alluring right now? Yeah, just to give two little previews for your audience. Cool update to video press coming. It is very <laughs> eminent. The player especially is so much cooler and so much nicer. It feels even more modern than like a YouTube player. Continuous updates to the infrastructure. So we're making, as Automatic builds out its global network, I think we're 30 plus points of presence globally. If you look at DNS perf, we're usually second to only Cloudflare or Google for how fast the network is. It's a kind of hidden part of Automatic that I'm really proud of that not a lot of people know about. So look for that to be a lot faster. And then finally, as you've probably seen with Jetpack CRM, Jetpack Backup, a few things, is we're making it so you can both buy and install these things a la carte. I don't think VideoPress is still a standalone plugin right now, but essentially what we've been doing with Jetpack is architecting it. So if people just want one of these features, they could just install that add-on uh, plugin much like Jetpack Backup or CRM or Power Kismet and Jetpack Interact. We want to give people the flexibility to pick and choose just what they want because I do, it's not entirely true because Jetpack has its own internal plugin system. So if you're only using one module, the rest of the code isn't being loaded. It's not slowing down your site at all. But I do get the perception where people are like, it does 20 things, I'm only using five of them. So yeah, ways that we can break it up, I think are, are helpful. Yeah. I, there still is, the truth is that if you install Jetpack and the CD and everything, it will make your site faster though. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I appreciate that people have been starting to run benchmarks and things to overcome the, the myth that Jetpack slows your site down when in fact it actually speeds it up. Rounding off today's episode is somebody that I've admired and respected uh, greatly since I, since her and I were on the same, I think, podcaster panel eight years ago. It's Miriam Schwab of Stratic, uh, which is a static hosting platform. Again, fantastic episode if you want to learn more about the hosting industry, the technology of uh, static hosting, certainly listen to that episode. And, you know, what would be a great sort of uh, after dinner treat would be Jason Ball's podcast episode, which I also did uh, with him talking about uh, the WP GraphQL plugin. Uh, two fantastic episodes. Anyway, one of the most admirable things that Miriam shared with us is her approach to raising money, going after investors, how she went after investors, what her thought process was like to go after investors, well, to invest in Stratic in, in a marketplace, aside from Automatic, which already does this, raises money, large amounts of money. There's a lot of WordPress companies that they feel like that sport isn't for them, and they almost kind of feel like it's not something that they want to do or like an open source company should do. I mean, I could be putting words in people's mouths, but there's a general feeling that raising money, having investors, sort of diluting your stance in the business isn't attractive. And hey, I mean, different walks for different types of people. That's totally fine. Uh, however you stand in this space. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a smart move, especially for her. And I really loved her outlook. So here she is, Miriam Schwab, raising money for her business, Stratic. 
not the the traditional business loan route. I went the venture capital funding route right from the start. Why did I go that route? One major reason I think is that being in Israel, it's a very tech-driven, startup-oriented ecosystem. And in my agency, Lumnea, we had been working with a lot of these tech companies and it's just all around. And so that's the model that I, that appealed to me. I, I wanted, if I was going to do this, I wanted to do it big. Like I, and to do it big, you, you need to raise significant amounts of funding, mostly to build out your team. And also it seemed very exciting to me. I wanted to be part of that. And it just made sense, you know, when you're tackling a market that's as big as WordPress, it's, and this is one of the, the things that I, I, I think uh, the WordPress industry kind of is not so self-aware about, which is it's so such a huge market with such high value that people who, who approach it from that more um, kind of aggressive point of view, there's a lot to be won there as opposed to kind of growing incrementally. I'm not saying we, we haven't like been hyper growing for various reasons. Like what we do, we do in a very methodical way. We don't just throw money at stuff to make it happen or something like that. That never works in, in any business model. But yeah, I wanted to be part of that. And I just thought it made the most sense for, for my, for the vision of Stratic and, and also being part of the ecosystem me, means that I, I and then we, when my partner Josh Lawrence joined, we could we could gain access to a lot of resources and and mentors and advisors from the ecosystem who could help push us forward. So so that's the route I went. It's non-traditional for WordPress, that's for sure. And also, by the way, that made it hard for us to a certain extent in terms of raising funding. We at a certain point when we were pitching investors, we realized that our first slide in our deck has to be the WordPress ecosystem is really, really massive. Here's what it is. And also here are some giant corporations that use WordPress. And then the investors would be like, what? Really? I thought it was like cat blogs. Like not, <laughs> not that extent, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And we'd be like, oh no, like Disney uses WordPress and I don't know, Forbes and this and that, and all these big name brands that we have in our, in our slide deck. And, and then that would like orient their thinking towards, okay, this is a really big market. WordPress in general, all of us, we need to realize it's a really big market. I'm not saying that everyone needs to go the startup route at all. It's not easy <laughs> at all. It's, and it's very painful in many ways. And it, of course, has risks. I think it's great for there to be awareness of both directions. Taking out a business loan in a smart way could be awesome. And then also what it means is that you own 100% of your shares for you and your, right. your partner. Whereas in the venture capital world, you're just generally being diluted. And people need to you know be aware of that. For me, I see it as an opportunity to grow something really big. And yeah, I don't own 100% of it, but that's fine. I get to be part of or or one of the leaders of something that God willing can be quite. Did you have some inspiration or is there just another business you look to as personally and you say, this is, this is what I want to replicate. This is the kind of leader I want to be. Oh, that's a tough question because there's like a lot of things that over many years, I think influenced the direction that I went in with this. So first of all, with regards to investors and people not wanting to lose control, the world of investors has changed over the last five plus years in that investors don't come in to be like, you know, nothing, I know everything, do this, do that. They, they have realized that doesn't work well. And so they, most investors who 
um, have any self-worth, which is, I think a lot of them, they, they work, they come in to collaborate and cooperate and guide or the, the, the founders rather than push and criticize and, and try to control. Cause that, that just doesn't work. But people should like be aware that that's not how invest- the world of investors really works anymore. I'm obviously it's not across the board, but they, they work, they come in as partners. And by the way, I've been advising quite a few WordPress companies or providers who are shifting to product lately on their fundraising process. And I'm happy to do so. It's a, it's a funny application of the open source ethos. So in the past, I would, you know, I kept a blog running called WP Garage and I would write all of my learnings about WordPress. And so now I'm very happy to share my learnings about fundraising with uh, WordPress people from the community who are looking to go in that direction. So I've been doing that like kind of under the radar very happily. So just FYI to anyone who's listening and wants some advice, feel free to reach out. In terms of like inspiration, I I often like to do things differently than others. So uh, I liked that in the WordPress space, the only entities that had raised funding in a serious way until that point was essentially, I mean, automatic. And I think WP Engine maybe. And it was something that wasn't yet done in, Word, in the world of WordPress. And I thought, I, I thought and I still think that WordPress deserves this type of approach for people who want it. And it makes sense. And so I wanted to do that. The funny thing is that when we announced our funding on TechCrunch, that that same day, by coincidence, Elementor also did. So we weren't the first ones to announce this type of funding. (laughs) It ended up as being the two of us on the same day. And at the end, which is also, they're also an Israeli, Israel-based company. So I think both of us, it's not, it's not like by accident that it's two Israeli companies that look to raise funding in this way. And I do think it's the general influence of the tech ecosystem here and the support. It's a very supportive ecosystem. Like seriously, I can reach out to someone I who's never met me and I don't know them, who's like a leader in the company, like in, an executive and be like, hey, so-and-so, I'd really love your advice on our, you know, next marketing project. Could you, could we have a call? And they'll in almost every case, say yes. That's how it is here. And I try to do the mm. same for others. So it's a very much pay it forward uh, mentality. And and that's where you end up. It's just like, it's like, that's the way to do things. There it is. It's the best of Matt Report thus far in the year 2021. It's March. I'm uh, looking at my calendar. It's March 28th as I record this. Upstairs in my home office. Again, not using the mic that I want to use because that's now in my new studio, which is located outside of my office. I hope you enjoyed this best of episode. If you like this stuff, tweet at me, let me know, or leave me a review on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, as it's called these days. The review is is something where people say, oh, you know, it doesn't help you rank anymore. No, it doesn't. It doesn't help you rank, but it makes me feel good. And if anybody else is looking at a startup podcast, a business podcast, a WordPress podcast, and they're, they got them side by side, well, you have some more reviews, a better chance it is that somebody's going to play your show. So if you enjoyed the Matt Report, if you enjoyed the guests and the information and the time spent sharing their lessons, leave us a review. I really appreciate it. MattReport.com, MattReport.com slash subscribe. Join that mailing list. The WPMinute.com is another podcast that I do for, uh, well, WordPress news in under five minutes. Check that out. The WPMinute.com. Okay. See you online. See you in the next episode.